We're going to finish up Hebrews chapter 12 uh, this morning. It's only verses 25 through, uh, through 29. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, what cannot be shaken, right? This, this kingdom that God is setting up and these people, you and I. Uh, spoiler alert, that's the what cannot be shaken. And I was kind of laughing to myself as I was preparing this sermon because it's almost as if Satan was like, well, do we want to test that theory out? Because it just seems that nothing has gone right over the past week to week and a half. Every single thing I've tried to do has just not gone according to plan. It started, I won't give you a full rundown of the past week, but it started last Saturday night when I was up in East Windsor and I was playing football, well not playing football, I was throwing a football around with some of my friends. Well, now the night was chilly, you know, mid 40s, low 40s, and when you get cold, your fingers shrink. When you're warm, they expand, right? And I felt my wedding ring slipping around quite a bit. And I said to myself, I don't want to lose my wedding ring. I better take it off and put it in my pocket so that it doesn't come off and I lose it. I thought it was a great plan. About an hour later when I go into my pocket to pull out my wedding ring, let's hazard a guess what wasn't in my pocket. My wedding ring. It took me about two months to lose my first wedding ring. Hopefully this one lasts a little longer. I think that wedding ring got taken into heaven. We went out with a metal detector and couldn't find it. Jesus raptured my wedding ring, so Maddie's not allowed to be mad about it. It started there, and it just kept going and going and going and going. Little things. Very rarely you'll see when Satan is testing you, or when God is testing you and allowing Satan to do what he will, it's never big things that seem to go wrong. It's just a ton of little things that eventually having you bash your head off a wall when the smallest thing happens. It collected all into last night as I'm sitting in the office here just trying to put the finishing touches on the PowerPoint for this morning. We're folding the bulletins, doing all that sort of stuff. Maddie and I are there. And that darned computer ran at about... 0.1% speed. I was never a patient man, and when my patience has been tested for a long time, there's not a lot left. And I was sitting there, and I'm pretty sure I literally did hit my head off of something in frustration. But you know what? I wake up this morning and I realize that this kingdom that I'm in this person that God has allowed me to be, not the man that he's changing, that I, I, that I was before, but him in me, making me one of his, that can't change, no matter what goes wrong. And as I sat there last night, you know, God doesn't very often speak to us in still, quiet voices anymore, like an audible voice, I mean, right? You know, back in the Old Testament times, you heard him. Paul got to talk to him for a minute, you know. It blinded him, but he got to talk to him. God usually doesn't really audibly talk to us anymore. He uses surroundings. He uses mainly this uh, or people around us as well to talk to us. But every once in a while, it's almost like I can hear that audible voice, you know. And I know it's just my brain. Like, it's not, I don't believe that it's actually God physically talking. But sometimes your brain kind of talks to you a little bit and just reminds you of those things. And as I'm sitting there last night, frustrated, 
out of patience, and my wife goes, you're a little testy today. <laughs> Thank you, dear. I'm aware. You just hear that voice in your head going, does it really matter? So what if this isn't running at full speed? It's 8 o'clock at night. What better thing do you have to be doing right now than sitting in the office? You could be watching something. You could be playing something. You could be napping. Who cares? Is any of it more important? Your wedding ring, it was $30. Maddie wasn't even upset about it. I was the one that was upset about it. Does it really matter in the long run? No, it doesn't. It's a good laugh now. It's only been a week and we laugh about it. She laughed about it then. I didn't. Scariest text I've ever sent. Honey, I'm not joking. I don't know where it is. And her response was, we'll look for it. You're not upset about this? No. Whatever. Fine. That's a good thing. But when you remember who you are, who Christ has made you, and the place he's put you, man, everything just falls right into place in this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's read it. I almost said Psalm, but it's in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Let's read it, shall we? It reads, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those, who, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Number one, number one on your note sheets there, no escape. No escape. I'm the uh, chapel speaker. My, my, the, the Bob Ord, the administrator at the school, is calling me the um, pandemic speaker. Because they're not bringing in, most of the time they bring in other pastors and stuff like that to speak to the middle high school in chapel. But for the time being, it's just me because I'm here. They don't have to bring somebody in and have them tested and all that kind of stuff. And so this past Friday, a couple days ago, I talked about salvation. And I preached out of one of my favorite passages for salvation. Uh, it's in Luke, and it's the uh, two thieves on the cross, where the one thief is like, save us and save yourself. And the other thief is like, you're an idiot. Maybe we'll talk about that someday. But I told them, I said, listen, I'm not going to sit up here and pretend, and neither is Mr. Orge. Mr. Orge and I have talked about it, so I know he thinks this way too, that everybody of the 50-ish, 40 to 50 kids, that all of you are saved. We're not going to sit up in here and pretend that half of you are saved. If I had to wager, I didn't tell them this part, but if I had to wager, I would bet the under on 25%. Pastor, it's a Christian school. Shouldn't they all be? No. I went to a Christian school for college, and I would bet the under on 25% there as well. Now, I would bet the over on probably 50% of them that think that they're saved, because they've been in church their whole life, so they can tell the story inside and out better than I could. And I, was, I did my best to be real with them, because this is a real thing. 
I'm going to handle uh, point B there under no escape first. There is a cutoff point for salvation. There will come a point in time when no one else can get saved. It's done. Remember I talked last week that God's dealing in grace right now. We're in the age of the church, the age of grace. There will come a time when he is no longer dealing in grace. And there will be no escape. There will be no salvation. Now, for each of us here, that moment is our, is our, is our death. When we die, that's our cutoff point, right? You can't go past that. You can't get to heaven and be like, oh, crap, I had it wrong on earth. Jesus saved me. Nope, won't work. You had your chance. You lost it. But there's also coming a day when everyone's chance will be cut off. There's different points for, for when that might be. Some people believe that it's at the point of the rapture, that no one can get saved from that point on. I don't personally believe that, but I know people that do. Some people believe that it's uh, after the millennial reign. That makes some sense because there will be people that are born during the millennial reign and they will have to make the choice. Let me tell you what I believe from reading scripture and just uh, from what it seems like. Again, this is not a hill I'm willing to die on by any means, and I hope that I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong in this. I don't think that I am, but it'd be great if I was because I believe that the cutoff point for anyone alive before the rapture is the rapture. That God will harden every person's heart that is not part of the church at the point of the rapture. Anyone born after the rapture still has the choice to make and can make that choice. So let's say the rapture happens in 10 minutes. Everyone born from that point before, their choice was made, it's done at the point of the rapture. Anyone born from that point after, they get to make that choice. That includes the millennial reign of Christ before he creates the new heaven and the new earth. That includes people born during the tribulation. Now here's the thing, we know the tribulation is seven years, but nowhere in scripture does it say the tribulation starts immediately after the rapture. Most scholars, and I, hey, I agree with them because they're smarter than me, believe that the tribulation starts at the point when Israel signs a treaty with uh, the world, essentially, with the Antichrist, a seven-year treaty. Church, I want to point something out here that points to how close we are, I believe, to the rapture happening. Over the past two weeks, two Islamic countries have signed peace treaties with Israel. Is it a great thing? You bet it is. Should it scare the bejeebies out of you? It should. Because Christ is coming back quick. This would not be happening if that wasn't the case. Now, I'm not here to tell you it's going to be tomorrow. I don't know the date or the time. I don't. It could be another thousand years. He said, lo, I'm coming quickly. And that was 2,000 years ago. His definition's different than ours. I don't think it's going to be that long. I think you're looking at decades, if that but they've been saying that since the beginning, so, you know. But I want to point that out, that the world is getting ready for this. God is preparing the world for this moment to happen. So, what is the cutoff point for salvation? The Bible doesn't fully say 100%, but it does say there is one. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that God's cutoff point for salvation is the same for everybody. It doesn't matter if you were born before the rapture or not. I don't think Scripture points to that for the most part. 
which is why it is so important that we get people to listen while we're here. That's why it is so important for us to go out and preach the good news. It doesn't matter what people might think of us. It doesn't matter if people think it's shameful or what the world says about how what is right and what is wrong. What matters is are you willing to watch your friends and loved ones and coworkers go to hell because you were too afraid to talk? That's what matters. That's the question that God's asking. And I'm going to be honest with you that there have been more times than not when the answer to it is, yeah, I'm okay with that because I don't want to speak up. And more times throughout history, that's happened than the opposite. I always admire the people because we ha I had a professor who when we'd go out to eat, he would always ask our waiter or waitress, we're going to pray before our meal. What's something we can pray for you for? And nine times out of ten, it was just, oh, you know, that I'll have a good day or something like that. Because you catch them off guard. But every once in a while, you get the person that goes, my dad's dying of cancer. Or I'm having this situation. Or what. And you're able to speak love to them in that moment. And I've always been just a little bit jealous of that, that he was able to do that. Had the strength of faith to just ask that simple question when here I am sitting there going, I don't want to look like a crazy person. I don't want to look like a fool. So let me ask you this, church, because it's a question I have to ask myself every day. Do I want to look like a fool to the world or do I want to look like a fool to God? You better choose to look like a fool to the world every time. I don't. I do my best. And I'm thankful that God forgives me every time that I don't. But it says right there, if you can't escape the one on earth, how are you going to escape the one in heaven? You don't get to make that choice then. You got to make it now. Church, before I go on to point number two here, I'm going to say something that very well might insult some people in this room. And I don't care. Because I'm not stupid enough to think that every single person in this room has accepted Christ. There's too many of us in here. I'm begging you, I don't care how long you've sat in that pew, if you've never made that choice for your own, you gotta do it, because you're running out of time. And once up, you don't get more. We don't get to be like Hezekiah and get another 15 years on top of it. It's hard, it's rough, but it's the truth. Because here's the thing, God is going to, he says it right there, he is going to shake the earth, and not just the earth. He's going to shake the heavens because he's going to remove everything that can be shaken. And number two here, so number one was no escape. Number two here, the unshaken kingdom, unshaken kingdom. How many of you guys have ever gone prospecting? How many of you know what prospecting is? There's a couple people here. So yeah, so back, back in the uh, 1800s, 1700s, and early 1900s as well, what you would do when you were looking for gold is you would take a pan that had small holes in it in the bottom, and you would dunk it in the creek or the riverbed, pull it up, and go like this. The idea being that the chunks of gold were big enough they would not fall through while the dirt and rock and other sediment would. That's essentially what God's going to do. He's prospecting. You just picture God with an old beaten up hat and a pickaxe and stuff, you know. He's going to shove that thing under the earth and pick it up and just start shaking. 
And what will remain is the kingdom he creates. And everything else is going to pass away. You see, God's going to remove the wrong in this world. I've been asked so many times in my life, how, if God is good and all-powerful, how does evil exist? Because he allows it. Because he's waiting. Because we're dealing with the age of grace. Notice in the Old Testament, he didn't allow evil to exist for very long. He would wipe it out quite often. He doesn't really wipe it out right now because he's dealing with grace. But there's going to come a point when he doesn't. And he will remove all that is wrong. And that doesn't just mean the, an the, the, the plants and animals and the earth that is dying. It means the people too. And in the end, his church will remain. The men and women throughout the millennias who have accepted him, who look at him as the Savior. And here's the thing. You and I have a response to this that we're supposed to be doing right now. In verse 28. He says, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Church, we're supposed to show gratitude to God by what we do, by how we act, by how we think. There's the old adage, right? Show Christ, and if possible, and, and show Christ, preach Christ, and if you have to, use words. Throw that out. It's poppycock. Nowhere in there does it not say to use your words. In this whole book, it doesn't ever say to use your words. It says to be careful what words you use, but we're supposed to preach with our mouths and our actions as well. The two should be connected. You see, what we do this morning when we sing, How Great is Our God?, Sing with me how great is our God and everyone will see how great is our God. That's showing gratitude to him. When we proclaim he's the name above all names, that's showing our gratitude to him. When you help the old lady across the street, that's showing gratitude to him. When you give in the offering plate, Am I allowed to say that as the pastor? I don't know. You're, you're showing gratitude to him. When you go to work with a good attitude, you're showing gratitude to him. What you do and what you say matters. And you need to keep at the forefront of your mind. See, I can always tell in myself when I've forgotten this truth that I have in ending. And it's just the beginning. That I have a point that I'm going towards where I'll be with Christ for eternity. And I can always tell when I've forgotten that or allowed it to sink back into my brain because I have days like yesterday when everything just seems to grate against me. Or I have days, right, where it seems like the sadness and hardships of this world are just going to overcome me. Right? We all have these types of days. And I'm not saying that emotions are wrong. But when we allow those emotions to overtake us and control us, that's when it becomes wrong. And we need to remember where we're going. Yes, God is allowing evil to exist for now. 
He won't. Because there will come a cutoff point. And what we see is that that cutoff point allows us to remain. Those of us who have accepted Christ. This chapter, as all of Scripture really does, starts with Christ and it ends with him. The middle is also about him. We start with his look to the author and perfecter of our faith who scorns the shame of the cross, right? And then we go into the following verses, right? And we talk about discipline, and nobody likes discipline, but you know what? God disciplines us. This is why I keep my notes up here. And then we look at Sinai and Zion, and we see this, 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 this uh, nature between the two, between the wrath of God, but the grace of God as well. And then in the end, we see that he's going to make all things right. But to do that, he's got to remove all things wrong. So I ask you this morning, whether you be sitting in the pew, whether you be watching this live or later on, are you on the right or are you on the wrong? Because there's coming a moment when you won't get to make the choice anymore. You either will be on the right or you will be on the wrong. And not making the choice is making the choice. Don't be on the wrong side of history. Be on the right side. Because the end's coming. And you don't want to be one of the ones that's shaken. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We praise you that we can come together. We praise you that we have your word to listen to and read and learn from. Father, I pray that we would recognize that there is an end coming. There's a cutoff point coming for salvation. And so we need to preach it out to every person that we meet. Yes, we're going to fail sometimes to do it because we get in our own way. And I pray, God, that you would convict us in that moment, but also that we would feel your forgiveness in that moment and that we would learn from it and go on. And so the next encounter we can say, Father, I'm in, I want to introduce you to this person or more, I want to introduce you to my dad who re can rescue you from this pit that you're in. We love you, Father. We praise you. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.